Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to Colossians again, chapter 2 tonight. Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to have a look at a message entitled, Still, Still. All right, Bethany, would you do me a favor? Would you go to my office and grab me a bottle of water, please? I finished the one I had. If you don't mind, please, thank you. Colossians chapter 2. You know, thank you for not being a dead church. And I know there's only a few in here and a few next door, and, uh, but we can still make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Somebody said this, you know the difference between a dead church and a living church? A dead, or a living church, or sorry, a dead church has funeral music at their services. A living church has their church music at their funerals. And that's the difference. We're, we're alive. We sing praises unto God, and we enjoy worshiping Him. And I, I hope that you enjoy that. And, and I thank you for being alive. I, I, boy, it encourages my heart. You're singing the song, and you look out, and you see somebody getting touched by the Lord. And uh, that encourages me, and I appreciate that so much. Still, Colossians chapter 2. Well, the Apostle Paul is missing fellowship with the church at Colossae and Laodicea. And we'll see that in a moment. On Wednesday night, we looked at the first half of chapter 1. And this morning, I preached from the second part of chapter 1. And tonight, we'll look at chapter 2 as Paul, you'll remember in chapter 1, was remembering their salvation, rejoicing with them that they had been saved and and uh, bringing about some prayer requests about their spiritual growth and how he wanted to see them succeed for the Lord. And this morning we talked about all the doctrine, all the things that took place when you got saved. You remember the remission of sins, that he is our propitiation. And all the things, I mean, we didn't know it when we got saved, all the, the many, many things that took place at that moment. What a wonderful transformation and how God took his son, Jesus Christ, and inserted him into this world and paid the price for our sins that we might be reconciled to God. And then he revealed to us what was the mystery of the ages. And understand this, a mystery in the New Testament just means that God is revealing something to us that remained hidden throughout the Old Testament. It was only pictured. But now in the New Testament, he said, this is the mystery of the ages. In chapter 1 and verse 27, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a wonderful truth to know that Jesus Christ resides in the tabernacle of my flesh, the temple of the Holy Ghost, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. That I have his ever-living presence within me to guide me, to help me, to convict me, to reprove me, to always be there to comfort me and to teach me. That's the Holy Spirit's presence. But now Paul moves on to this in his letter, and he's basically saying, I miss you. We're separated. We're apart. As I was reading through that book of Colossians this week, I thought, boy, isn't that us? We're soon to go on another one of these lockdowns, and we'll see each other from time to time, and we'll cross paths in the grocery store, and we'll meet at our circle of 10 meetings here in the next week, but it's just not the same. But in all honesty, it's not been the same for a year. We've had 30% meetings. We've had 15% meetings. We've had split meetings in other rooms. We've had circle of 10 meetings. We've done whatever we can. We've had online-only meetings, and on and on it goes. We've been separated from the brethren. Listen, I, I don't believe that there's some diabolical plan going on necessarily, but I'll tell you this, the devil will sure use it. He'll use it to discourage. He'll use it to tear apart. 
I was talking to Brother Hilton the other night, and he was saying that he believes that the psalm, and I, I agree 100%, I've said the same thing, that some that have not come back to church won't come back to church. They've gotten away for a year now. And they've fallen into a different rut, into a different pattern, and found out that maybe they don't need to be in church as much or the Lord. Well, friend, we need the church. Church is essential. We need the fellowship of God's people. But let me ask you this. What happens when we don't have it? By no fault of our own, what happens and how are we to go forward? Paul wants to remind the church of Colossae of that tonight. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. This is something that he's really troubled about. And for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I be with you, I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. I'm going to stop there and pray. I know it's not the end of the sentence, but let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts tonight and encourage us. And for the next few weeks, this might be the last time we get to meet in person. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take something with us that will sustain us and help us. And it's not anything that I might say, but it's the word of God. And so I pray that you'd use our word of God and, and speak to our hearts tonight, penetrate our hearts. Lord, stir us up. Help us, we pray. Lord, I need your help, and I pray that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit. I surrender to you. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 shares the point of the letter for Paul that he is missing fellowship with these folks. He says, I am in a great conflict I have for you. My heart is broken. I'm stirred up inside, and for them at Laodicea as well, and for as many others that have not seen my face. He's struggling with that. They're separated. And for those young Christians in those places at Colossae and Laodicea and others, they were in need of the teaching of the apostle. They were in need of his encouragement of his sermons. Understand the entire Bible had not yet been compiled or written. And so a lot of the times what the apostle would write when he wrote them a letter was the Bible. The letter to the Colossians. When he preached the sermon, he was, had apostolic revelation. It was different than what we know today. And it was from God. It was Bible teaching. It was doctrine. And they were feasting upon it and missing it. And he says, I, I'm tore up over this. So how does he accomplish this? How does he comfort them? How does he help those that he misses and in turn miss him? Well, he simply points them to Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, I, I, here's my desire that their hearts might be comforted. Their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. 
And unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of what? What's it say? The mystery of God. It was just about six verses before that that he told them what that mystery was. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, here's what you need to acknowledge, you folks of Colossae and Laodicea and others. Here's what you need to understand. You need to come to a full understanding. He says right in verse 2, and an assurance of this fact that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You need to come to an assurance of that mystery. You need to know for sure. You need to believe with all your heart. Because when we believe that Christ is in us, that's when we are comforted. And that's when we are knit together in love. And that's when we have the full riches of, of his assurance is when we know Christ is in us. Paul is telling you the churches tonight, draw on his strength. I wish I could be there to encourage you, and I wish I could be there to help you, but you need to learn how to rely upon Jesus Christ. You know, as any parent, we try to do the same. Years ago, we were on vacation. We were visiting with another family, and there was a, a boy in their family, the same age as our son, and uh, when our kids were little, your probably kids probably did this too. They'd say, I can do it. Me do it. Me do it. Do you ever hear that from your kids? Putting on their shoes on the wrong feet? You know, I saw Timmy the other day come in and his shoes were going the opposite way. And I said, I said, you want me to fix those for you? And he says, nope, I did it. Okay, good. You did it. That's fine. You're going to be walking funny, but Whatever. I remember my kids, we go to put their shoes on, help them. Two years old, one and a half years old. I can do it. It's all right, you do it. And they do it. They learn how to do it. It was good for them to learn how to do it, to be independent. I remember being with this other fellow and his kids now, six and seven years old. And dad, can you put my shoes on? And his mother was there. We were visiting his mom and she said, he needs to learn how to do that on his own. He goes, well, mom, I love him. And so I'm going to help him. And I understood the sentiment. And he came to me after. He goes, you think I... He says, you think I kind of maybe overstepped my mom? He says, I told her I loved them and I wanted to help them. I said, well, I said, I love my kids, so I want them to learn to do it on their own. There's, there's different type. We love them both the same, but we want them to learn and grow. And, and friends, we need to learn how to grow and rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, having a church is wonderful. Having a church, I believe, is essential. I believe we are commanded to gather and to worship. And the Bible says as, as we see the day approaching, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It becomes more important that we go to church and we fellowship with the saints and we grow in Christ Jesus and we learn from the word of God and we sing the wonderful praises to God. It's so important. Church is essential. But let me say this. Christ is even better. And when we can learn to rely upon Christ in you, the hope of glory, then we'll be eating milk, uh, meat and not milk. We'll be able to handle the things of this world, whatever they throw at us, because we are walking with Christ. No longer will we go around saying, well, I'm a member of Bethel Baptist Church. No, I'm a child of God. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Notice what he says in verse 3 about this Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom Wisdom, wisdom, boy, we could use some of that today, and knowledge. And then he says this, this I say, lest any man should beguile you, beguile. 
What does it mean, beguile? It means to deceive through false numbering. In other words, it means to cook the books, to cheat. Maybe you keep the books at work, and if, if you were to change some numbers, your boss would never notice they trust you. That's what it means to skim a little off the top by changing some numbers and to change the ledgers. That's what the word literally means. In other words, we can be led astray by something that sounds right but is not. I think a lot about the day and age we live in, and they say that we can be deceived by science falsely so-called. We can be led away by endless genealogies and fables and wives' tales. The Bible warns us against those things. We ought to be careful to hold on, hold fast to the word of God. And so he says this, you need to learn to, to, to rely upon Christ in you because I'm not going to always be there. And the church is not always going to be there. And you're going to learn how to rely on Christ because if not, you're going to be beguiled. You're going to be easily led astray. You're going to fall for a false doctrine. There are false teachers out there and there's evil men that will creep in unawares, deceiving the very elect. And so we must make sure that we rely upon Christ in you, the hope of glory. But here's the reminder he gives them. Look at verse 5. This is just introduction. We'll get to the message in a moment. Hold on. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the what? Spirit. Now understand what this is saying. Sometimes we... We say something like that, and actually we're kind of silly when we say it. Somebody will die, and I say, well, I believe somebody's looking down on me. They're with us in spirit. Listen, if there's a place called heaven where our loved ones are dwelling, I hope they can't see this wicked earth anymore. Man, they don't want to look down here. Go and pray for us. But you, your, your battle with sin is over, amen? You're in heaven. You're in the presence of Christ. Sometimes we'll say this, well, I can't be there, but I'll be there in spirit. Baloney. All right? But what Paul was saying here is we are united by one spirit. Though I cannot be there in the flesh, we are still one. We are still one. What, what he is teaching us is this. In a day and age where the people would beguile us, the world would beguile us and lead us astray, we need to be a spiritual people, not focused on the flesh. We need to be a spiritual people dwelling upon that Christ in us, the hope of glory, in whom all wisdom and knowledge lies. Where we find all riches is in Christ Jesus. We need to learn that he is in us and helping us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so Paul says, though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I wondered that if perhaps because of Paul's absence, the people felt abandoned. Perhaps they felt scattered and divided. Perhaps because of persecution, they felt that they were soon about to see their church closed or defeated in some way. Paul reminds them that though they may end up going their separate ways in the flesh, you are still one in the Spirit. We still serve the same Christ. I remember going into Africa that first time and going down into that little jungle church, a Dome Baptist church, and walking down the mountainside into the jungle and coming to this little church. 
and getting into that little worship service, and the people began to sing. And I didn't understand a word they were singing. They were singing in Ghanaian Twi. And they sang, and they sang, and they sang, and after about three or four minutes, I felt tears coming down my face. I didn't understand a word they were singing, but it was the same Spirit of God moving in that place that I understood way back here in Canada. And then we sang some songs in English, and they didn't understand them, but they were moved, and they were rejoicing, because the same Spirit that dwelled in me dwelt within them. And it doesn't matter if we're scattered or persecuted or sent abroad. Listen, I'm here to tell you, it's the same Spirit of God. And I may not be preparing you tonight for a three or four week shutdown, but I'm telling you, the day is coming where real persecution will come. Where they'll try to stop us from preaching the Word of God. And they'll try to scatter the churches. But we have the same Christ dwelling in us. And we have the same Spirit of God. And we are one. They can never. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail. So the question I asked at the beginning is this, what do we do? What do we do? And I've titled the message, Still. You say, why? Because we still keep doing the same things. Notice what he says in verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Then he tells us a whole bunch of ways how. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Number one, we are still grounded in him and we're still growing in him. No matter what happens, we are still grounded in him and we still ought to be growing in him. The Apostle Paul wasn't there to spoon-feed these folks and to teach them the doctrines of the Word of God and to help them along. And he's saying, listen, here's, here's what I need you to do. I need you to stay grounded and keep growing. Oh, wait, Paul, you're, you're not here to preach. You have a Bible. You have the Gospels. You have these letters that I've already written you. I've already taught you some doctrine and you've, you've taken some notes and you've got some other good men in the church that are trying to faithfully teach you those things that I've taught them. You have some ladies teaching those young ladies some things and, and you need to stay grounded and keep growing. Do you know, friend, that that's your responsibility? It's your responsibility to grow. Peter said, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He didn't say it was your job to go and find a place for somebody to teach you. He said, grow. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Get into the word. Read it. Meditate therein day and night. And know his will for your life. So verse 7 says we're, to, we're still to be grounded in him and we're still to be grounded. Listen, nothing changes. Whether we're in church or not, whether we're meeting online or not, whether there's 15% or 30% or groups of 10 or everybody's in here, we still are to be grounded and we're still to be growing and we're still to get into the word of God. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Beware any man, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Here's what I've titled this verse, still focused on him, 
still following him. Nothing's changed. Don't fall for philosophy. Don't follow vain deceit. Don't follow after the traditions of men. Keep following Christ. Keep focusing on him. We, we get so messed up, don't we? Traditions. Somebody said this. You know, it's funny. I came here and 10 years ago, and I'd, I'd go, I'd pick something up that I thought was garbage, and I'd say, ah, go throw that out. Sell somebody else. You throw that in the dumpster. Oh, you can't throw that out. Mm-mm. Oh, no? No, somebody's grandmother's sister donated that to church in 1932. Really? It's a broom. I mean, come on. You know? Oh, no, that's, that's a sacred broom right there. Somebody said this, sacred cows make the best hamburgers. Amen? Woo! Listen, we shouldn't be so tied to tradition, so tied to things. Preacher, we didn't used to do it that way. No, I, I know. I know. Listen, let's not follow after philosophy, vain deceit, the rudiments of this world. Let's follow after Christ. Listen, you're going to be tempted. Can I, can I warn you about something? Be careful. Be careful during these periods of time where we go through these struggles to chase after internet preachers. You understand what I'm saying? You know, you don't know where they're coming from sometimes. I'm going to tell you, the Seventh-day Adventists, they got more programs out there. Every, every program you watch almost Seventh-day Adventists, and you'll find out, you don't, they don't tell you. And some of the false teachings, you say, oh, aren't they just Christians just like we are? Listen, they believe this, that if you don't accept that Ellen G. White is the spirit of prophecy, you cannot be saved. It says that right in their doctrines and covenants. That's, that's blasphemy. They believe that Satan was the scapegoat where all our sins were placed and he'll be eventually cast in the lake of fire to pay the price for our sins. That's blasphemy. Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins when he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. That's blasphemy. Hey, don't get caught up in the, in the vain traditions of men and the rudiments of this world. Be careful who you're following in these days. Listen, you say, I, I just don't know where to turn. I don't know where to look. Can I suggest a place? Get into the word of God and read it for yourself and absorb it and learn. So I don't understand some of those words. Then pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to teach you and to guide you, to help you. Well, you'll learn more in one verse of scripture than you'll learn off a lot of internet preachers. Stay focused on him and we're still following him. Look at verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I didn't, I didn't prepare a message that was all deep in doctrine like this morning. I wanted to cheer you on a little bit. In verse 9, notice what it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We already read about that way back in chapter 1 this morning. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Here's the third answer to the question, what do we do? Listen, understand this. There is still hope in him. And there's still help in him. Where does my help lie? From whence cometh my help? It comes from the Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We're to trust in Jesus. You wonder, so many people are looking for hope today. Oh my they're turning to everything. 
Can you tell them your hope is in the Lord? That I'm trusting in Him and my help is in Him? For in Him dwelleth... Where do you go? Where do you go? You can go to the bank and pull out some money, but I'm going to tell you this. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of Godhead bodily. You can go down to the doctor and you can get some psychological help, and I'm not against certain types of things like that, but let me tell you this. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He said, I'm looking here and there for my needs. My Bible says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus Christ, you understand what that means? In Jesus Christ, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost because in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead. He is the image of the invisible. He is the embodiment of God. And his spirit dwells within us. Do you know him? There's still hope in him, and there's still hope, help in him. Look at verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I like that. He's the head of all. He, he's in charge of the devil. The devil must feel like he gets kicked in the shins every time somebody reads a verse like that. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Here's here's what I entitled this verse. You are still complete in him, and you're still conquering in him. You're still complete in him, and you're still conquering in him. Look what he says. He is the head. He is the head of all principality and powers. Now the next several verses tell us what we can have victory over. How we can be complete in Christ and how we can be conquering in Christ. In verse 11 he says, In whom also ye are circumcised of the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We have victory and separation. You see, what is, what is this circumcision? I don't like to talk of that. Nobody does. Circumcision was a mark that God put on his people to separate them. And he says here, In the circumcision of our hearts... We are separated unto God. That's what he's saying. We can have victory in separation. We are not, not to be part of this world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that be in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Come ye out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. We are to be separate. We're not to be a part of this sinful world. It's no wonder the world hates us. But you can have victory in separation. Verse 12, I've entitled it this, you can have victory over self. Victory over self. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. You say, what does that mean? Buried with him in baptism. It means you're dead. That's what a burial is. I tell you, I wouldn't want to be buried any other way. Would you? It means we're to be dead in Christ and raised in newness of life. That's what your baptism pictures. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen, you can have victory over yourself. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live under the Son of God. Have you crucified the flesh? Paul said this, I die daily, crucifying his flesh. 
making sure that he wasn't in charge anymore. He said, how do I have victory? That's how. It's all about him and none about you. Surrendering control, allowing the Holy Spirit to take over. You can have victory in separation. You can have victory over self. Verse 13 and 14, we can have victory over sin. We can have victory over sin. I'm talking about being complete in him and conquering with him. Victory over sin. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. He's forgiven your sins. He's made you alive. Verse 14, not only that, he blotted out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against you, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He said, what does that mean? It means he took the the, the Old Testament law, and once you were under the blood, he nailed that to the cross too. He said, why would he do that? So he can no longer accuse you. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Old devil doesn't have a right to point a finger at you. You're washed in the blood and a child of God. And you can have victory over sin. Oh, it's tough sometimes. We struggle. We war with the flesh. Paul says, the things I should be doing, I'm not doing. The things I shouldn't be doing, I am doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. That was the Al Fieri version. Uh, Listen, it's true. That's what he said. He says, my flesh warreth with my spirit. We need to learn to crucify the flesh and we can have victory over sin. And then you see we can have victory over the spiritual realm, verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show. He made, he made a show. He made a show. He made a show of them. Openly triumphing over them in it. Listen, we're talking about we're we're complete in him, but we can conquer in him. But you can't do anything on your own. You can have victory in separation and victory over self and victory over sin and victory over the spiritual realm all because you're in Christ, not because you're on your own. What is Paul saying? That no matter what dark days we see, we can be spiritually victorious and even vibrant in the most trying of times. Listen, we have no excuse If we were on a desert island, we'd have no excuse. If we were living in a deepest, darkest jungle with nothing but Satanism going on all around us, we have no excuse. We have everything we need right here in the Word of God. There was a young man that went down to Brazil years ago. He had cerebral palsy. And you'd have somebody help him. He wanted to be a missionary and very few would support him thinking he'd never make it. He had gnarled hands. He was in a wheelchair. He made it to Brazil and he found a place that would feed him. The owner of the restaurant says, if you'll come after lunch hour, about 1.30, if you come after breakfast, after supper, he says, "I'll, I'll help you. I'll feed you. And they became friends and he fed him every meal. And he'd just simply go down to the town square every day and he'd hold up a track in his gnarled hand. And he'd shake and hold it and try to hand them to people. He couldn't talk very well. But what few words he could get, he could memorize scripture and he shared the gospel with people and he just started winning people to Jesus and sending them to the local church of a missionary down the street. They said in just a few years he won thousands to the Lord. All day he'd just hand out tracts. I can't remember his last name. His first name was Robert. And he came home 
from the field. His body was getting worse. He was about to die. He came to his local church, and they brought his wheelchair up on that platform. And he lifted up his Bible, a little, little tiny New Testament in a gnarled hand, and he said, oh, I have all I need for joy. We have no excuse. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the blessed word of God. We have all we need for joy. Listen, he said, well, are you, are you okay then with everything? I'm not, I'm not excited about the prospect of being out of church. Not at all. Well, I love being in church. I, I start, you, I, I can hardly sleep Saturday nights. I, I get, I get kind of contemplative and quiet when I got to get ready to preach. I get a little antsy. My heart starts fluttering. 27 years and I still get nervous every time. But I love it. Love being with God's people. Love, I love singing. Uh, you know, if I didn't think I was wearing you out, I'd, we'd sing another two hours. It didn't bother me. I'm not happy about what's happening. But I know this, that even if somebody came and put fences around our place, threw us all in jail, I still have Christ in me, the hope of glory. And he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And there's some things we can still do. We can just keep going. I'm, I'm thinking of a song. I, can't, I don't think I know it well enough to sing it. But let, let me think of this. The world may strip me of my freedom and buy me with its chains. Health may leave my body and be replaced with pain. They can come and take my freedom, steal my liberty, but they can't take it all away from me. They'll never throw away the rock on which I stand. They can't remove the cornerstone and cast it in the sea. I don't remember the rest. Man, that's good, isn't it? They can't take it all away from me. Death may take my dearest loved ones, my body racked with pain, and on and on it goes, but they'll never take it all away from me. Hey, the world can take whatever they want. They can't have Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, encourage us tonight. I know there's people tonight that are deeply hurt and hurting. And they miss church so much. So do I. God, help us to learn how to hold on to Christ. And we can still, still, still be conquering and complete, focused and following, victorious in our daily walk. Lord, more than now, now more than ever, the world needs us to be a shining testimony of who Jesus is. Because there's, there's lost people out there that are hurting too. They can't get out and they can't have human contact and uh, they're struggling with depression and discouragement. And they want to look to us and ask the reason for the hope that is within us. Lord, may we be able to carefully share the gospel and tell them about Christ. Father, thank you for that presence in our lives.
We thank you and praise you tonight. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight as we sing. If God has spoke to your heart, would you come? You can use this altar. Brother Cody's going to lead the invitation in the gym. Can I encourage you to do this? There might be somebody that you've been talking to in this church and they just I just can't face another lockdown. I'm not even talking about just church. People are tired of lockdowns in general, aren't they? Would you pray for them right now? That they would have God's strength. It is a depressing time and a discouraging time for some folks. Think of those folks in the nursing home. Some for over a year have not seen loved ones. Pray for them tonight that they'll have God's strength.